0: This is from Luke 3, verses 1 through 20. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Achuria and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, The word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked places shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then shall we do? And he answered them, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, that he locked up John in prison."
1: Thank you guys you may be seated Meredith, you do a great John the Baptist I think if we ever decide to have like a like a dramatic like like a play you know like put on a big drama performance we're going to have you play John the Baptist I don't know if that's okay or not but seems like a thing to do um, okay so this morning um, let me get all my notes together here um, it's cold out isn't it? Uh, good job coming. Um, I, I've heard lots of people, myself included, complaining about how cold it is. But I was talking with um, Ben and Elaine over here. And in South Dakota this morning, it's, um, or the high today is 10 below. <laughs> and the low is 18 below. So, I mean, it's, this is balmy weather. This is great out here. Um, now It's good to be with all of you today. Um, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father... Uh, you are a good and gracious God. Lord, we've been singing about your goodness um, this morning. We've been singing about the, the great love that you've extended to us in in Jesus Christ. And so we just begin by recognizing the great privilege that you have extended to us. Um, Father, I, I want to pray this morning for the Madsen family. Lord, um, Steve's dad passed away um, just yesterday, or I, I guess Friday. And so, Lord, I pray for that family. Um, I pray for comfort for them. Um, I, I know that several of them are, are not believers. And so, Lord, I pray that you would um, grant that this um, tragedy, Lord, this, this event, this this man's death, um, might be used for good, Lord, in that family in drawing people to yourself, Lord. You answer our prayers in amazing ways all the time, and so we pray that that you might do what might even seem impossible and do a great work in that family, drawing people to faith in Christ. Um, Lord, I think also of Sean Riker's dad, who's in the hospital right now and not doing well. And Lord, I don't know where he's at with you. Um, I pray, Father, that even in these, these days, Lord, you might draw him to yourself, um, or if he does have faith in you, Lord, that he would be um, deeply anchored in that faith. And um, Father, uh, I, I know there are probably others, Lord, that we could um, point to. And so, Lord, we pray that, your, that you and your sovereign ways, Lord, would work in each of these situations, um, difficult situations, Lord, um, but Lord, we know that you are in control of all things. And so we ask that you would draw good things out of, out of even tragedy, Lord. And Father, this morning, as as we um, consider your word, Lord, um, we know that, that you have a message here for each one of us. And so, Lord, we pray that your spirit would be speaking to us, Lord, that we would hear from you and um, come away with the things that you would have for us. Lord, we love you, and we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I'll just start with a couple announcements. Um, we do have, um, right after the service, we have a... Discipleship Hour, adult and youth um, Bible study class that we do, and this week will be the last week for Dan teaching his series on prayer, and it's been excellent. So um, stick around after the service that that starts about eleven thirty or so, and you want to stick around for that. Next week, um, Dan's class will be over. Next week, we're going to have a special class called Discover Grace, and the purpose of that is for everybody to get to know a little bit more about the church and so if you've been with us a long time there's going to be some additional things that we kind of bring out that you guys probably maybe don't know um, about kind of core values and convictions and and all of those things um, but if you're not if you're new with with the church you definitely want to come and and hear about us and so I just encourage you guys to stick around for that next week that'll be at 11 30 as well um, the other thing that I wanted to point out is on February 4th Um, The evening of February 4th, which is a Sunday, um, we're going to have our annual meeting, um, but we're going to do, it's going to be fun. So we're going to have a potluck dinner that evening. Um, We're going to have, we get to celebrate baptism. That's going to be really cool. Um, It's a baptism celebration. I think we have four people getting baptized, which is awesome. That's really cool. And then um, we're going to, so food, baptisms, we're going to sing a few songs, we're going to spend some time reflecting on this last year and all that God did for us. You know, we weren't a church a year ago, (laughs) so it's really cool that we have this, and then we're going to look ahead at the year ahead and some goals that we have, and so you'll want to be there for that. So that's February 4th, mark your calendar, and um, be sure to pay attention to the bulletin, there'll be more about that. Um, We call this a, a baptism celebration because it's, it's cool to see the work that God is doing in people's lives, drawing them to himself, right? That, that's a really great thing for us to, to celebrate. Um, we're in this third chapter of Luke, and we're getting to see the, the ministry of John the Baptist, and there's a lot in there about baptism. And I'm curious, you know, John's ministry, would he call it a baptism celebration? <laughs> I just wonder, you know, he, he warns them of the wrath to come. He says, every tree that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And, and Meredith, great job, you know, you pushed that home, you know. Um, he's speaking out against the wickedness of his own generation, like one of the great prophets of old, right? And so you have this this powerful preaching from him. And I just wonder if it would have been called a celebration. <laughs> I just wonder if, if that's the, the tone or the feel of it. Um, as, as we look at um, these events in this chapter, chapter 3 here, um, my main question is, what does the ministry of John the Baptist and, and his baptism have to do with what we're doing today? Where's the overlap? You know, how much of it is, is the same and how much of it is different? And so to help us with that, I'm going to ask and answer five questions this morning, okay? Five questions that we're going to walk through, and you'll you'll see these as we go. So the first is, what is baptism? Okay, what is baptism? Second is, what are the unique features of John's baptism? The third is, what does baptism with the Holy Spirit and fire mean? Uh, The fourth is, how is all of that related to Christian baptism, like, where's the overlap here? And the last thing is, is baptism still important today? Okay. Um, let's pause for just a second. We're going we're gonna to pray for Ruth, if that's okay. Um, Lord, I just pray for Ruth, and um, pray, Lord, that you would um, keep her healthy, Lord. I pray that if she's not feeling well right now, Lord, that you would, that you would um, restore her health, Lord, and... Um, Father, take care of her, Lord. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We need to do anything, everything okay? Okay, good. All right, so that's those questions. Five five questions. That's where we're headed. So the first thing is, what is baptism? And what I want you guys to see is that baptism is a distinctly Christian practice. Okay? Now, there are some things in Israel's history that probably prepared them for this. Okay, we're going we're going to pause for just a second.
0: Okay. All right.
1: Okay. So, we're talking about baptism. And um, there were some things in Israel's history that prepared them for this whole idea of what baptism is. And so um, even though they, they had some ideas about it, it was still a new thing. So let me, let me give you a little bit of background about some of the ideas related to baptism. One thing that prepared them for all this was the idea of, um, of how God brought them into the promised land, okay? So if you remember, God brought them out of the land of Egypt and they came out and they crossed the, what did they cross? What body of water? The Red Sea. Okay, they cross the Red Sea, and so they go through the Red Sea, and God brings them through on dry land, and then immediately after they cross the Red Sea, God causes the waters to go back behind them. And so what that did was create for them a hard moment of separation. There's no going back. Even if you want to go back to Egypt, you can't go back because there's a giant body of water in the way now, and so there was this hard break and moment of separation Paul actually speaks of that moment. he can't use it as a metaphor for, for this, but he speaks of that moment being like a baptism. So 1 Corinthians 10, he says, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. What does he mean by that? Well, he's using the metaphor of baptism because there was this dramatic separation from their old life, and introduction into this new thing, which is this life with Moses. So, just like, you know, this idea of baptism, going through the sea was this moment of separation, this introduction to a new thing. Um, After they spend 40 years in the wilderness, God does the same thing again, right? They cross the Jordan River, and God pushes the waters back. They go through on dry ground, and then the waters return And once again, dramatic separation from their old life and introduction to to something new. So that's one picture that Israel had that kind of prepared them for this idea of baptism. The other thing is something that was going on in in the the time was there were a lot of ancient religions that practiced a a ritual, like kind of a a, um, cleansing ritual, before they could either go into the temple or they could be part of the community they would have to um, go through this ritual. So to, to help you guys learn this, okay, we're gonna, I'm going to teach you two Greek words today. Okay, everybody ready? So the first word is bapto. Everybody say the word bapto. Isn't that just fun to say bapto? Okay, so bapto means to dip, okay? And it's the word that they would use for these ritual cleansings, and, and basically the idea is, is that they would have to go dip themselves in the water. They'd have to Clean themselves off before they would go in is something they did to themselves and they did it frequently. Okay? That's the word bapto. The second word, okay, you ready? Second word, baptizo. Okay, everybody say baptizo. <laughs> baptizo, which is where we get the word baptize from. And baptizo is just an intensified version of the word bapto. Okay, so it's like really dip. <laughs> like you're going to submerge immerse something and so if you're if you're like dipping a garment to to clean it or something you might use that word baptizo it was also used if a person drowned or a sip, a ship sank okay so it carried this idea of of like they they might have died right so th- when you had these these folks doing these ritual Cleansings. They never used the baptizo, they used the use the word baptizo. They use the word bapto, because you're not going to use the word baptizo because it sounded like you died, right? <laughs> like that's terrible. So they drowned? No, 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 not not quite, right? Well, when John comes along, and he brings this baptism of repentance, he uses the word baptizo. Why would he do that, right? Why would he do that? Well, here's why. John's baptism was was different. It was much more radical than just this, this kind of cleansing that you're going to do over and over. He's not trying to help good people clean up their act a bit. That's not what John's trying to do. John's taking sinful people and preparing them to meet a holy God. He's looking for a radical departure from the old life. You're done. That's over. You got a new thing going on. And so, he uses the word baptizo, which is just really interesting. So, what, the, the second question we're going to look at today, the, the second question is, what are the unique features of John's baptism? And so, John's baptism can really be summed up with two words, okay? Two words, repentance and identification, okay? So, um repentance from sin and identification with the renewed people of God. He's basically asking people, whose side are you on? Are you on the side of these, these corrupt leaders of your nation, or are you on the side of those who really want to actually follow God? That's what he's getting at. And so let me, let's take a look at these passages, and we're going to see how, how this develops in some of these, these features here. So um, Luke chapter 3, Uh, And we get this list of names. So um, I'm just going to look at verses 1 and 2 for a second here. Um, In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being Tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip Tetrarch of the region of Ituria and Trachonitis, and Lysanias Tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, during that time, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah in the wilderness. So so first, Luke gives us all kinds of historical detail. Why why does he do this? Is it just so that when you read in church, you have, like, it's really hard to read this, you know, because you've got to pronounce all these names? Um, I, I think what he's showing us is a couple really important things. One is that God was entering into human history here, right? This is grounded in historical fact. This wasn't like once upon a time a long time ago. This was at a specific moment in history, And another thing that's happening here that's really cool is of this list of people, most of these folks are going to show up again in Luke's account. And God is going to confront each of these men. And so, for instance, John in his ministry is going to confront Herod the Tetrarch um, for his um, basically stealing his brother's wife. And then, Jesus is going to stand before Pontius Pilate and before Annas and Caiaphas and, and bring his message of the kingdom to these men. And so, really, what you see is that the ministry of God through these men, through, through, John, through Jesus himself, is, is directly applying to these, these major government leaders, these major political leaders... And that's because the ministry is not just a localized thing for the Jewish people. This is a ministry to the whole world. This is God's message to the whole world. And so what we see here is that this was God's initiative. This was not John the Baptist making up something. So it says, the word of God came to John the son of Zechariah in the wilderness. Now, if you've been tracking with us through Luke's gospel, you know that John probably knew all along that something was going to happen here, right? Because God had come and spoken to his father, his dad, Zechariah, and Zechariah would have passed it on. And here's what God told John's father, Zechariah. John's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He's going to turn many of the children of Israel back to the Lord. And he's going to make ready a people for the Lord who are prepared. And yet John doesn't do that. John does not start his ministry until the word of God comes to him. And that's because this is not about John trying to to come up with a way to do this on his own. Um, This is God who wants these people prepared. This is the word of the Lord coming to John. So the baptism that John does is by God's initiative, but it's also a display of God's grace. Okay, look at at what this says. Verse 3 following he went into all the region around the Jordan proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So repentance is an opportunity. Okay? Now what the word means is it's a change of your thinking, it's a change of your actions, it, it's turning from this to that. And so in, in practice, like think through what baptism, what repentance looks like, what repentance looks like is a change, it's a 180, it's a change of mind, and so let's say you have um, a habit of lying, okay, And and you know you probably shouldn't, but you do, and you have this habit of lying, well, what repentance is, is it's agreeing with God about what he says about lying, and so if God says lying is destructive, you're going to agree with him. You're, you're going to stop thinking lying is really helpful sometimes. And you're going to say, no, you know what? God says lying is actually really destructive. And, you know, if I think back on it, actually it is, you know. So you're going to agree with God that lying is destructive. And you're going to decide, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop lying. I'm going to agree with what God says. I'm going to turn away from that. I'm going to stop doing that. And if there's any people that I've lied to recently, I'm going to go back and tell them the truth. I'm going to make it right. Okay, That's what repentance is. It's not just, oh, man, I feel bad. Right? That's not repentance. Repentance is turning away from this thing. So John comes. He proclaims this baptism of repentance. And what he's saying is if you come down to the river and you get dunked and you come back out, When you go forth, this is a brand new life. You are turning away from whatever happened before the moment in the water, and you're moving ahead with this new thing. And the result of that is forgiveness of sins. Now, that's really cool. A baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So God is giving them a second chance. And that's good news. And that's something that we need. (laughs) We all need that. And so John's baptism, it's initiated by God, it is this, this display of God's grace, but it's also a warning, isn't it? John, John is not mincing words here, it, this is very much a warning. So look at verse 7 here, he says, he says to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our, our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children. <clears throat> children for Abraham, even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Okay, man, he is he's not mincing words. Uh, he says about them, you know, they've been claiming that they have Abraham as their father. And that's a pretty legitimate claim because God promised to bless the descendants of Abraham. But basically, John's saying God can get other descendants of Abraham. He can make more anytime he wants to. He's going to take you out unless you repent. And so if they want to be part of the true children of Abraham, those who have a faith like Abraham, if they want to really be part of that group of people, this renewed people of God, they need to repent. They need to repent. They need to turn away from the things that they're doing. And he says they need to bear the fruit of repentance. So what does the fruit of repentance look like? Well, he, he goes on to explain in the next verses. Um, they say, what, what should we do? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. Whoever have, has food is to do likewise. Likewise. And then tax collectors also came to be baptized by him, and said to him, "Teacher, what shall we do?" And he said to them, "Collect no more than you are authorized to do." And soldiers also asked him, "We, what shall we do?" And he said to them, "Don't extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation, and be content with your wages." Um, this was this was countercultural. This would be like telling I don't know, like telling politicians today, only speak the truth, right? <laughs> And, and lawyers, don't defend the wicked, you know. I, 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 like, this was, this was counterintuitive, to say the least. And so what is he confronting? What, what he's confronting here is people who weren't sharing with the poor and people who were greedy and taking advantage of others. And so what he's saying is, God sees. He sees everything that you're doing. So share with those in need and stop ripping people off, Right? And, and recognize that the righteous standard of God applies to you in your life. And he's giving them just really practical expressions of what this looks like. And, and basically, it's love your neighbor as yourself, right? That's, that's the idea, but played out in really practical terms. Um, the point of this is you don't want to meet God and be unprepared for that meeting. And so he's telling them the Messiah is coming. And you need to get on the right side of things. You need to be prepared for when Jesus shows up. And I've just got to say, this, I feel like this is a message for today. <laughs> America needs to hear this. Flee from the wrath to come. There is going to come a day when we stand before God and we have to give an account. You know, John is confronting in his day uh, uh, this, this kind of selfishness, this greed, this neglecting the poor. And sure, we have those things today. I think those things are still around. Um, I wish that was all that we had. Uh, We have a lot more that we could add to that list. Um, We have a society that's trying to remove God from every aspect of life. Uh, We have schools directly teaching children uh, contrary to God's design for marriage and family. Um, We have every variety of sexual immorality we could invent or imagine or come up with. We have laws that declare evil good and good evil. We have churches that actively support these things. So what's the need of the moment, right? What is the need of the moment? And there's all kinds of ways that we try to deal with with a variety of things like this. What John says is the need of the moment is repentance. Turn away from sin. Turn back to God. And and I think as you know i reflect on how we respond to this message it's really easy for us to point out there you know those people over there or those people over there the message has to begin here we have to recognize that whatever sin we have we need to repent of we need to be an example for our culture of turning away from sin and representing the righteousness of god to those around us and then we need to like john call others to that good standard of turning away from sin and turning to the Lord. Um, you know, there's a lot of other things that we try, education, politics, all, like, there's, these are good things, they're not bad, but the ultimate need of the hour is repentance. We need to get right before God. Um, John's baptism, he comes along, and he provides the Jewish people with this opportunity to repent. To turn back to the Lord um, and get ready for the ministry of Jesus. What's interesting about John's message here is he draws a contrast between what he's doing and what Jesus is about to do. Okay, he comes with this ministry of repentance, but Jesus is gonna come with this ministry of baptism with the Holy Spirit and fire. So let's talk about that. What, is, what does that mean? It kind of sounds scary. I don't, I don't know. Baptism with water, that sounds cool. Baptism with fire, I'm not sure that I want to be part of that. So um, let's talk about what this means, baptism with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So the first part there, let, let's actually just read this, this little passage here. As the people were in expectation, all were questioning in, in their hearts concerning John whether he might be the Christ, the Messiah. John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water. But he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So baptism with the Holy Spirit, let's start with that part. What does baptism with the Holy Spirit mean? Well, it's, a, it's kind of an unusual phrase. It only shows up seven times in the, in the Bible. The first four times are in the Gospels recounting this story. And then there's three others. And it shows up twice in the book of Acts and once over in 1 Corinthians. And so let me just kind of walk through this. And what I want you to see is that baptism with the Holy Spirit occurs at the moment you believe. It's the moment of faith. That's when you're baptized with the Holy Spirit, and it's really receiving the Holy Spirit at the time of your conversion. So Acts chapter 1, verse 5, um, Jesus is speaking to the disciples, and he says to them, John baptized with water, you guys know all about that, Um, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now, okay? Now, just a few days later, a brief time later, actually, I guess it would be... No, it's Day of Pentecost. It was like 10 days later. Anyway, um, just a few days later, um, they, are, they receive the Holy Spirit on the Day of Pentecost, and it's this dramatic moment, and at that point, the, the Christian church really officially begins, and so you see this, this moment with them receiving the Spirit. Well, in Acts 11, verse 12 and following, we, we read another very similar account. Now, this is, this is now Peter speaking to a group of Gentiles, non-Jewish people, and he has shared the gospel with them, and now he's telling the account afterwards. This is what happened. It was really cool. Let me tell you about what happened. And so Peter, recounting this, he says, and the Spirit told me to go to them, making no distinction, even though they're Gentiles and I'm a Jew. And these six brothers also accompanied me. These, These Jewish brothers came. And we entered into the man's house, and he told us how he had seen the angel in his house and say... Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter, and he will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave them the same gift, gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed, they they received this when they believed when we believed in the lord jesus christ who was i that i could stand in the way when they heard these things they fell silent they glorified god saying then to the gentiles also god has granted repentance that leads to life how do we know the gentiles are actually in that they actually like are saved and they they're they're with us well they received the holy spirit too right and when did they receive him right when they believed right at that moment Um, One more passage, 1 Corinthians 12, Paul's speaking to the the church in Corinth, and if you've ever read the book of, or the letter of 1 Corinthians, you know they were having some problems, They they were having some issues, it was not a perfect church, and yet, Paul speaks to them as believers, and this is what he says. He says, in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, Slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Paul's assumption there is that every single person in the church of Corinth was baptized with the Holy Spirit. Okay, this wasn't something that only the the like super spiritual people, they got baptized with the Holy Spirit and all the rest of them were like, oh, I guess you're not quite good enough. He says we were all baptized into one body, and that body is the church. It's their introduction into the church. You receive the Holy Spirit, now you're part of the church. And so that's what the Holy, baptism by the Holy Spirit means. It's that, that introduction, it's that moment you believe, and you receive the Holy Spirit, and now you're in. You're part of God's people, the church. So what about that other part? <laughs> baptism with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Because that part sounds, sounds interesting. Well, he explains... Luke's, Luke's really um, giving us the, the explanation in the very next verse where um, you see John going on to explain that this, this Messiah, this one who's coming, who's going to baptize with fire, he says his winnowing fork is in his hand. Does anybody know what a winnowing fork is? Okay, so what a winnowing fork is, it's kind of like a pitchfork, and what, what you would do is you know they didn't have giant tractors that do all this threshing stuff for them. Uh, we're we're spoiled today. We have machines that do this, but they would take the the wheat and the chaff and toss it up in the air on a windy day, and and the bad stuff would blow away and the the good stuff would stay, and they would separate out the wheat from the chaff. And then the chaff, as it collects, then you burn it and you get rid of it. And so. The the imagery here is God's going to separate out the good from the bad. That's the the imagery. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So again, it's a warning. This is very much a warning. And so what, what we see here is the ministry of Jesus comes in two ways. Some will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Those who who repent and believe will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, but some will be receiving this baptism of fire, this judgment from the Lord. And so John's message is clear. Today's the day. Get ready. Respond to the Lord. Don't wait longer. Repent of sin and turn to Christ, this coming one. Okay, so how does that relate to Christian baptism? Okay, we've seen, we've seen the baptism of John marked by two things, repentance and identification with this new new people. And then we see this ministry that Jesus is doing, baptism with the Holy Spirit or with fire. How's that related to Christian baptism? Well, just like John's baptism, Christian baptism is about those same two words, repentance and identification. Okay, so When we get baptized, we repent of sin and we identify with the people of God. So let me walk you through that. So um, baptism, when we get baptized, it's supposed to mark, it's supposed to be a radical break from our previous way of life. Okay, so that when, when the people of Israel cross the Red Sea out of Egypt, you know, there's no going back. That's how baptism is supposed to be. That's how it's supposed to be for us. John uses that word baptizo, which kind of suggests like drowning or death, right? That's on purpose, right? We're supposed to die to our old way of life. Um, look, at how, look at how this, this gets used a, a few times in the New Testament. So um, Paul gets saved, okay? And if you remember the story, Paul is actively trying to persecute the church, And God shows up, Jesus shows up to Paul and says, you're with me now. And he has this blinding vision and he goes to the next town and he's told there's going to be a guy that meets you there and he's going to tell you what to do. And so that guy is Ananias and Ananias also receives a vision from the Lord. And so Paul gets to Damascus and Ananias shows up to him and tells him, here's what you need to do. And in Acts 22, Paul's recounting all of this. And he remembers what Ananias told him. Ananias said, now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins calling on his name. Okay? The imagery, baptism, is washing away your sins. Get rid of your sins. Don't continue on the path that you're in. Get rid of all that stuff. Stop persecuting Christians and, and et cetera, And begin following the Lord. Um, Paul picks up on that same kind of imagery in Romans 6. And he's picking up on the imagery, not of washing, but of dying. Okay, so listen to what he says in Romans 6. He says, don't you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? What? Okay, the idea there is identifying with Jesus. We're with Jesus, identifying with his death. And so Jesus dies and rises again. Verse 4. Romans 6, 4, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And then he goes on a few verses later, he says about Jesus, the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Um, Verse 11, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And so the idea is baptism is just like what John was doing. You know, you're you're done with that old life. This marks a new point in moving forward. That's what Christian baptism does too, okay? It, It is very much a baptism of repentance. John preached a baptism of repentance. We do too. Same thing. We teach a baptism of repentance, of turning away from sin to follow the Lord. And then just as John's baptism was about this renewed people of God that you're you're linking arms with, that's the same thing for us, right? It's not this random group in the the wilderness. It's getting ready for something cool. We're with the church, okay? And so when you get baptized, you're linking arms with the church. And so when a person places their faith in Christ, here's what happens. I mean, all kinds of amazing things happen. (laughs) I'll I'll mention a few. Um, When a person places their faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells them and gives them new life. They're born again, right? And when that person comes to faith in Christ, they are adopted as a child of God, and the Father loves them and will always love them. And when we, get, when we come to faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit baptizes that person, introducing them into the church, they're, they're now members of the church. And all of these are, are really like unseen spiritual realities. You know, I, I wish there was like an indicator light, you know, on people's forehead. Like, that one's in. Okay, that, one, that one's in, that one's in. You know, but we don't have that. These are unseen spiritual realities. So, so how, do we, how do we know? Well, the outward expression, like the way you tell people, I'm, I'm with Jesus, the way you do that is through baptism. And baptism is a picture of what the Holy Spirit just did for you, right? So You were, you were brought into the church through the Holy Spirit baptizing you. The same thing happens um, when we, we get baptized. We're, we're basically saying, I'm with them now. All those other people that got baptized, I'm with them. And um, I, I'm pr- publicly professing my faith in Christ. That's kind of a tongue twister. Publicly professing my faith in Christ. And it's this visual testimony right? I'm going to go get dunked in water. There's kind of like no faking. Did you do it? Well, yeah, all wet. It was all wet. And, and so it's this visual demonstration that you are turning away from the old thing. You're, you're dying and coming to, to a new life, and that you're identifying with this people of God. So the last question, is baptism important today? Is it actually important today? Okay, so my short answer is yes. (laughs) Um, What's interesting to me is I'm kind of amazed at how many people I meet, Christians that I meet who grew up in the church, who, you know, been, been in church circles for a long time, who just never got around to getting baptized. You know, maybe their church didn't emphasize it. It didn't seem important at the time. They're working on other stuff. I don't know, but, but they just never got around to getting baptized. I, I know of a pastor in, in Texas, actually, I, I've talked to him, I know him, um, who didn't get baptized until years into being a pastor. He had been saved for decades at that point and had been leading a church for several years before he finally got around. I was like, you know, it's just awkward now. It's just awkward, but I've got to do this. And so he got a few of his leaders together, and they went and baptized him. And um, he just realized, you know, I I don't know why I never did, but I need to get baptized. And I think, you know, part of it is there's lots of other ways that people today, you know, proclaim that they're a Christian, right? So somebody walks an aisle, or they raise their hand, or they say a, a specific prayer or something along those lines. And those things aren't bad, but they should not replace baptism. Baptism is the way that Jesus established for us to say, I'm a Christian, right? That's, that's the, the way that he established for us to say that we have put our faith in him. And so it's really the first step of obedience in the Christian faith. Like Jesus said, we're supposed to do this, and so we're going to do this. Um, it's a powerful expression of what the Holy Spirit has accomplished in us. We were baptized by the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to show that outwardly, and it marks your introduction into the church right this is this is how you come in okay so let let me share one thing related to this this is just a kind of a practical church life kind of thing related to this um, we we take communion weekly, and when we do this we we often will say this this is something that Christians do okay and so if if you're going to take part in communion, and it's this wonderful celebration of our ongoing faith in Christ, we ask, and we would assume, that you are a Christian. So how does a person let folks know that they're a Christian? Well, that's through baptism, right? We just kind of laid that out. And so baptism, really, practically speaking, ought to precede communion, okay? So logically, we we should, first, you have faith in Christ, and then you let people know about it. And then you get to, as part of the church, participate in this practice of communion. Okay, now we, we don't, uh, we're, we're evangelical Protestant churches and we're not real good at tradition. And so we, we have not emphasized that as heavily as, as a lot of churches have in the past. But that's been the practice of the church for 2,000 years is that baptism comes first and then communion. So I would just encourage you guys Um, not to stop taking communion but to get baptized (laughs) put your faith in christ if you haven't already get baptized and join us in communion because um, it is our expression of ongoing faith in christ Um, so i just want to point that out Um, if you guys have other questions related to baptism we have a little booklet here that i've got 10 copies of this so you'll, you'll have to arm wrestle for it but um uh, this This tells more about baptism if you have any questions related to infant baptism or any of the things that, that um, people might ask. Um, if you have not ever been baptized okay here 's my encouragement to you today 's the day like let 's let 's get this taken care of let 's get baptized um, we 'll take you down to the river i 'm just kidding. <laughs> i'm just kidding no we'll wait we'll do it indoors february 4th it'll be great you'll love it uh we actually had so so at my previous church um we had a guy um who was he was about 70 years old i think um come to faith in christ and he was he was all in and he said i want to get baptized in the river and we said it's december and he said i don't care I want to get baptized in the river. And so we did. We planned a Saturday. We all went down there in December. It was cold. And, I mean, I think it was, I think it was a week like this. I think the temperature dropped, and it was, it was cold. And he went, and he got baptized. It was awesome. Um, so, yeah, I'd encourage you to do that. Um, if, if you're already a believer, and you've been baptized, you know, and you're thinking, okay, well, that's great for all those folks that need to be baptized, here's what this means for us right? This is me speaking to myself. Baptism is supposed to, according to Paul, according to John, according, baptism is supposed to be a break from our old life and an introduction to our new life. And let's be honest, there are times, I think, in every Christian's life when, they, when they're looking back at Egypt and they're thinking, man, it was pretty good back there, you know, and, and wishing for sin. And the whole point of baptism is that it's a hard break from your old life and an introduction into this new life. So I just want to encourage you a little bit of self-examination. How are you doing? Like, like, are you actually living out this new life in Christ, this life of commitment to following the Lord wholeheartedly all in, or are you still kind of like glancing back at Egypt and, and looking for opportunities to dabble in that? Um, that's that for me I think is is where the the rubber hits the road in all of this. Um, let me pray, and then in just a moment i 'm going to ask BJ to come up and lead us in communion but let 's pray together. Um, Father, you are so good and so gracious and so kind to us to give us second chances and Lord, second chances third, fourth, fifth, eighth, twelfth, Lord, you give us so many chances. In coming back to you, Lord, I am so grateful, Father, for your grace. Lord, you are good. Lord, not one of us could stand on our own merit and brag before you as if we're so great, Lord, and, and, and you owe us something. Lord, you, you, you are so gracious to us. And so, Lord, we thank you for the, the great privilege that you extend to us of being able to repent and turn away from our sins and turn back to you. And, and you welcome us with open arms, Lord. You, you gladly receive us. And so I thank you, Father, for that. I pray for um, every one of us here, Lord, that, that we would not cling to our sin. Lord, help us to agree with you about what sin is and recognize how destructive it is to our lives. Um, Lord, help us to, to embrace your good and perfect ways. And Lord, I pray for, um, if there is anyone here, Lord, who has not placed their faith in Christ, um, Lord, may they be compelled by your love for us, Lord. May they see the good thing that you've provided for us through Jesus Christ. And Lord, may you do your good work in every one of us today. Lord, we love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.